Hey, everybody. It is Thursday, February 15th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Manunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, thanks for uh, going solo <laughs> yesterday <laughs> as I was making my way back. And I know you were doing a triple duty, quadruple duty because you had election coverage and the kids and the podcast. So thanks for juggling it all. Well, you, like me, I think are what's known as workhorses. And when I got a text from you that said, I literally have done 18 hours of interviews. <laughs> You're on your own tonight. <laughs> I knew yeah. I was on my own. You're like, that's not something you would ask if, unless it was absolutely necessary. Yeah, I was like uh, falling over. <laughs> and I, at that point, without the podcast, I was getting three hours of sleep before my flight. So, Well, I'm so glad that you're back in New York and safe and sound. And I can't wait to hear everything about the people that you spoke with and just all your perspectives on everything. We do have a story from that region a little bit later in the podcast. We'll discuss it a bit today and we will have a lot more coming your way in the coming weeks. Okay, now to the headlines. A celebration turned deadly. At least one person killed and multiple people with pretty serious injuries in a shooting during the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade. A serious national security threat that the head of the House Intelligence Committee wants declassified. To the Middle East, fighting intensifies between Israel and Hezbollah. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is out with a controversial plan to curb retail theft. Some new data confirming what many of us suspected when employers help provide childcare services for workers. It's actually good for business. As if online dating wasn't hard enough, enter ChatGPT. Stay tuned for this story and uh, good luck to all the Gen Z women and alpha generation women out there because there's some interesting stats about what the younger men are up to on ChatGPT. And most remember that Taylor Swift election conspiracy theory? Well, it turns out nearly one in five people think it's true. Jill, we will take you through it, what the theory is, and who are the true believers in it right now. And Mosh, I will happily once again turn over on this day in history to you. Jill, the history of the teddy bear, Teddy Roosevelt, the story behind it, why and how it got its name and the various theories out there. Uh, we'll have that and a little Whitney Houston history for you today. Okay, let's start with that shooting at the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl victory parade on Wednesday. One person was killed and more than 20 were wounded after shots were fired at the end of the parade. Just over a dozen have life-threatening injuries as of Wednesday night. And nine of those who were wounded are children. Police say that three people have been detained. At least two of them were armed. And officials have yet to determine a motive as of late on Wednesday Needless to say, what should have been this big celebration turned into total chaos with terrified fans running for cover. An estimated one million people were in downtown Kansas City celebrating their team's back-to-back -back Super Bowl championships. And about 800 law enforcement officials were also there. Players were still on the stage of the Chiefs' victory rally when the shooting took place mingling with each other after it ended. Now, some fans had already started to filter out of the area, but it was still packed with people who began to flee in fear after the sound of gunshots. One witness telling the local ABC station, all of a sudden we see people running, we hear gunshots, we take off running, and we look over and there's a guy next to us on the ground. I heard another witness say that because it's a celebration, at first they didn't know if they were gunshots or fireworks, so it was just total confusion. 
Yeah, there was some thought that there might be fireworks at the end of the parade, and and sadly, that was not the case. Uh, the Chiefs did say in a statement that the team is truly saddened by the senseless act of violence. Their hearts go out to the victims, the families, all of the city. The players, the coaches, the staff, uh, and their families uh, were all safe. Uh, none of them were wounded in the incident. The Chiefs quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, posted online that he's praying for Kansas City. NBC is reporting that officials believe that the shooting is criminal in nature, not related to terrorism or some larger plot. But we will still await details. They did multiple press conferences throughout the day on Wednesday as we start to learn more details, some of it contradictory. So we're sort of waiting for the final understanding here as the police learn more about what took place. One of the videos that was circulating on social media Wednesday afternoon showed civilians tackling somebody. And police were investigating whether that was one of the shooters that Kansas City citizens basically taking the law into their own hands, uh, tackling one of the shooters. So that might be part of this storyline as we learn more here about what took place. Jill, schools were closed in Kansas City, so as many kids as possible could attend the rally. Uh, and so sadly, one of the things they had to do uh, after the shooting was set up child reunification centers, because as people scattered about, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, parents and kids got separated. So that was one of the things that took place after this shooting. And of course, you mentioned that some of the uh, those wounded were children. Numerous hospitals in the area are treating patients just because of the large number of victims in this case. Uh, and we will continue to keep you up to date over on the Instagram account throughout the day with developments. I was listening to an interview with that person that you mentioned who actually jumped on one of the alleged shooters. And he said he he doesn't really even know what came over him. He just it was more just like instinct. And he jumped on this guy and he said the whole time he was fighting him and then somebody else came to help. And then finally the, the police arrived and he said, it felt like minutes, but it was probably 30 seconds. But thank God for him, because, of course, this could have been a lot worse. And I was listening to another interview with a, a law enforcement analyst, and they said that if there was any indication that this was remotely involved with terrorism, the FBI would be all over the place, which it's not. Mm -hmm. So his guess, given that this was sort of at the end of the parade, was that perhaps maybe it was some type of, of gang violence. Uh, something related to that. Again, that's totally his guess. And that the reason that, that there were just so many victims here is just because there were so many people and everyone was really crowded in. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, so many kids were there, which unfortunately is the reason that so many kids were injured. And a sign of the times, CNN happened to be interviewing Parkland victims because uh, yesterday also marked the anniversary, uh, the six-year anniversary of the Parkland school shooting and what they're up to uh, in terms of fighting gun violence and gun safety measures. They happened to be doing that interview as they learned about the shooting happening in Kansas City. Naturally, CNN had them react to it. And they were like, are we surprised that this continues to happen in this country? Absolutely not. Sadly, hardly a day goes by where a date doesn't mark some sort of uh, firearms related tragedy in this country. And I immediately went to that July 4th parade in your hometown in Highland Park in Chicago. Yeah. And it's just so sad that here you have these amazing events that are meant to be celebrations and you have to be nervous about it. Yeah. All right. Moving on to a major national security story that we have been following. The White House informed leaders in Congress and allies in Europe this week of new intelligence about Russian nuclear capabilities that could pose an international threat. Officials say the new intelligence is related to Russia's attempts to develop a space-based anti-satellite nuclear weapon. Current and former officials say that the new intelligence was reportedly serious, but that the nuclear weapon was not yet in orbit. 
So it doesn't appear to be a nuke that they would drop from space to Earth, but rather one that they would use against satellites in space. It allegedly does not yet pose an urgent threat to the United States, Ukraine, or America's allies in Europe. But it is something that they are closely watching. This threat came to light after the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Congressman Michael Turner, issued a cryptic public statement calling on the Biden administration to immediately declassify the material. Turner is a Republican from Ohio and set Washington abuzz about what the intelligence was. But the statement reportedly infuriated White House officials who feared that by getting this information out there, they would lose important sources of information on Russia. The intelligence was developed in recent days. And while it's important, officials say it was not a break the glass kind of warning of any imminent threat. Yeah, it appears Turner here sort of freaked everybody out. That's how we all learned about it on Wednesdays. We got the statement from the House Intel chairman saying, White House, you need to immediately declassify this. This is this is very important stuff. And uh, multiple members of Congress described the issue as serious, but said they weren't as alarmed. In fact, the top Democrat on the House Intel Committee, that's Congressman Jim Himes of Connecticut, said the issue is serious, but said, quote, it's not information that will, quote, ruin your Thursday. <laughs> So he was like, listen, Turner, you're right to focus on this, but let's let's take it down a little bit. Let's bring it from a nine to a five, effectively. You heard the same thing from the Senate side uh, that Senator Mark Warner of Virginia, the Democrat, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, the Republican. They run the Senate Intelligence Committee, and they said they've been tracking this issue for a while. They've been in touch with the White House on this. Uh, and the White House was already set to brief uh, Capitol Hill, uh, senior leaders on it. So everyone's just like Turner chill a little bit on this. So I don't want to make light of this at all because it does sound like a serious threat, but it kind of reminds me of when I first started working on the assignment desk when I was at NBC News. And I remember wires would cross all the time that would sound like totally code red about something. And I'd be like, guys, is anybody seeing this? And they'd be like, this wire crosses 10 times a day. Let's just give it a minute, see how it develops. We'll watch the story. And I'm not making light of a Russian nuke in space. But it sounds like perhaps (laughs) that's kind of what was going on. We think. Or we could be here next week saying Turner was right. We should have been more freaked out about this. Anyway, it appears, again, this is a intelligence related to the Russians potentially putting a nuke in space to target other satellites in space. Again, that's what's leaked out so far. I imagine we'll learn more in the coming days. Any sort of satellite sabotage, obviously very concerning to officials. And any deployment of nuclear weapons in space would actually violate the Outer Space Treaty that was signed back in the 60s, which, by the way, Russia is a signatory to. There was a deal made, more than 100 countries, saying none of us will put nuclear weapons in space. So uh, we sit here now in 2024 where this has now come up. And what's interesting here is this does come as we're having a larger conversation on Capitol Hill about aid to Ukraine to fight Russia. Michael Turner is among the Republicans who still believes in supporting and giving aid to Ukraine against Russia. So some feel that basically he's trying to encourage a discussion here about Russian threats to get his colleagues aboard, a bunch of Republicans who no longer want to give aid to Ukraine, saying, listen, Russia's a real threat here, and here's yet something else that they're trying to do. There's a $60 billion package. The Senate has passed it. It's on hold in the House because Donald Trump, other Republicans are not supportive of it. 
Trump has said in recent days that he believes it should be a loan to Ukraine, not aid to Ukraine. They should have to pay it back. Um, so there is that internal debate happening within the party. Of course, Trump also said in recent days that any NATO allies that don't spend enough on military uh, affairs, that he'll tell Putin to do whatever he wants to to them. So there's a lot of discussion here in relation to Russia. And that's an important backdrop here when it comes to uh discussions of potential Russian threats. Are they trying to create a sense of urgency on Capitol Hill to pass that extra aid? Well, either way, I'm glad we have the Space Force. We do. It's based out in Colorado, and uh, it's our newest military arm. And I imagine the Space Force is, this has got to be priority one for Space Force, right? Weapons in space, their military. That's this, like kind of what they're made this, for. This is the whole reason for their existence, right? This is like the mission. All right, lots of news to get to, but first we want to thank a couple of our sponsors. Our newest sponsor, Good Chop. They offer customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered straight to your door on your schedule. Moshe, I was very happy to open up my freezer the other day and see some steak and chicken and salmon. I cannot wait to try them. Joe, let me know when the barbecue is. I'll be there. (laughs) We're just going to have to dust off a little snow first. Um, The products are vacuum sealed and frozen at peak freshness. You could choose from over 70 high quality cuts, grass fed ribeyes, filet mignon, free range and organic chicken breasts, pork tenderloin and thick cut bacon. Plus, plenty of seafood options as well. We're all about sustainable, organic, antibiotic-free in our house, so this is all perfect for us. Beyond meat, they've got wild-caught fish. We mentioned the salmon, but they also offer shrimp and scallops. A couple of really great things to note, convenience and quality. They source exclusively from American farms and fishers. They support local family farms and independent ranchers. And they're giving the Monus community a great deal. So go to goodchop.com slash Monus120 and use the code Monus120120 to get $120 off your first four boxes. That's Monus120 at goodchop.com slash Monus, M-O-N-E-W-S 120 for $120 off. And staying with food and health here, we're always talking about various trends and how hard it is to get your nutrients one way. We here at the Mo News Podcast try to get all the important ones is through Athletic Greens AG1 powder. I first tried AG1 more than a year ago as uh, I was annoyed having to get my nutrients from a whole variety of vitamins and keeping track of them. And what I love about AG1 is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. And I know once I down that glass that I'm getting more than 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamin and minerals, pre and probiotics for gut health, really is your uh, nutritional insurance policy. And as a longtime partner here at Mo News, they have a great deal for the Mo News community. They're giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. You can head over to drinkag1.com slash Mo News. That is drinkag1.com slash Mo News for the special deal and to really take ownership of your health. All right, time now for the speed read. Let's start in the Middle East, of course, where Mosh, you just returned from. This from the New York Times, it looks like there has been a significant escalation on Israel's northern border with Lebanon. Israeli towns and an army base came under what appeared to be the fiercest attacks from Lebanon since the confrontation began four months ago. The assault, presumed to be carried out by Hezbollah fighters based in Lebanon, killed an Israeli soldier and wounded eight others. 
That prompted Israeli fighter jets to launch extensive counterstrikes on the group's positions. The day before, another Israeli was killed in northern Israel from other rockets. Many Israeli politicians, including members of cabinet, have urged Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and the army to act more aggressively against Hezbollah, which is the most powerful terrorist group in the Middle East. It operates out of Lebanon and it is supported and armed by Iran and has vowed to destroy all of Israel. And it all comes amid diplomatic efforts that have been going on behind the scenes to help ease the tension between Israel and Hezbollah. The French foreign minister has said that he put forward proposals during a recent visit to Lebanon, which also included foreign ministers from Germany and Britain. The head of Hezbollah pretty much dismissed those diplomatic proposals and said that they'll stop the attacks when, quote, the attack on Gaza stops and there is a ceasefire. And he warned that if they, meaning Israel, brought in the confrontation, we will do the same. So, Moshe, I know that you did spend some time in northern Israel during your trip. Did you get the sense that Israel is preparing for a more intense battle with Hezbollah? They've been preparing since October 7th. Uh, Jill, uh, the big concern, of course, was that Hezbollah would uh, fight in coordination with Hamas. Hezbollah made a call very early on, part of this due to Israeli deterrence, American deterrence, not to get fully involved. But there's been this low-grade war that's been going on. And when I was up in the region on Tuesday, uh, the Israelis have evacuated about 80,000, almost 100,000 residents from northern Israel who have not been in their homes now for four months because of the threat from Hezbollah. They're staying in hotels across the country, staying with friends, staying in shelters. And you mentioned Hezbollah being the largest terror group in the region. If Hamas had you know, 10 to 20,000 rockets in their arsenal, Hezbollah has more than 150,000 rockets, much more well-trained. And when I spent some time with one of the Israeli military units doing a, an exercise on Tuesday, some of them described to me that Hamas is child's play compared to these Hezbollah fighters who are uh, trained by the Iranians, have much more precise uh, weapons, and are much more trained when it comes to guerrilla tactics and really like a, a real military force. So we were up there just a couple miles from the border, and they're ready at a moment's notice, you know, for something more to happen. And then, of course, I was there on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, you know, this unfolded just a couple miles from where we were uh, watching the exercise, covering the exercise. We were there along with uh, a German media network, an Italian media network, and some other photographers. And there's been a lot of discussion when it comes to the Israeli government about whether they need to take more action uh, to prevent an October 7th-like scenario. You know, their big concern was Hamas conducted this attack in the south. Hezbollah, given their force, could really do a significant attack on Israel. And so there are a lot of officials within the Israeli government saying we cannot allow them to be this strong and decide one day to attack us. We need to get preemptive. That's where the Americans and others have intervened here, trying to prevent a larger escalation of the war here and total warfare on the northern front. It is interesting that Hezbollah is linking things to Gaza, saying that you know basically they'll continue attacking until there's a ceasefire in Gaza. And related to that front, talks do continue in Cairo today, but at a lower level, the Israeli government made a call yesterday to pull out of the uh, hostage for prisoner talks. The Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu saying that Hamas is making absurd demands uh, related to Jerusalem, related to thousands of prisoners that need to be released from Israeli prisons, including those who've committed murder or serving life sentences, just demands that the Israelis say are completely unrealistic uh, for them to give up in exchange for the 134 remaining hostages in the Gaza Strip. So the Israelis feel by pulling out of the talks, that'll ratchet up pressure on Hamas, along with the continued bombing 
and military activity in Gaza, also putting pressure on Hamas, the Palestinian Authority. Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the Palestinian people, calling on Hamas yesterday to make a deal uh, to save Palestinians from further suffering. He is the Palestinian president. You haven't heard much from him, and that is something he's receiving a lot of criticism for, that he's not been vocal enough in terms of saving his own people, trying to foster some sort of deal here. 90% of Palestinians want Abbas to resign. Uh, he's viewed widely as corrupt. So it was notable that sort of he came out of nowhere. Uh, he's been very quiet during this war, calling on Hamas to make a deal. And it really goes to show you how much power or lack of power he has as a president. And it comes as we're seeing somewhat of a, a public rift anyway between Israel and the United States. The U.S. about to assess Israeli use of American weapons. What is this about? Yeah, so we talked about this on Tuesday's podcast, right? The increasing rift between Netanyahu and Biden and how much of it is really domestic politics, especially here in the U.S., where Biden is trying to prove uh, to his left flank, to liberals, to progressives, to younger voters, that he is applying some scrutiny here to the Israeli war effort now in its fifth month. So what came out over the last 24 hours is that the State Department is going to analyze some of the uh, actions the Israeli government took during this war that includes the use of a 2,000-pound American bomb back in October in Gaza. This was in the area of Jabalia. The Israelis were targeting a Hamas commander in a tunnel under a residential complex. But in using that bomb, it also led to the deaths of more than 120 Palestinians in that bombing attempt. And so the U.S. is looking into whether they feel that that was appropriate or inappropriate. Uh, they're also looking at the Israeli use of the substance white phosphorus uh, that's used to obscure bombing runs uh, and is controversial. Because if used in certain circumstances, it can be viewed as a war crime. It can legally be used in certain circumstances when it's away from civilians, but can't be if it's too close to civilians. So they're analyzing the use uh, by the Israelis in Lebanon also earlier this fall. The whole point of the State Department effort is they're going to investigate this and determine whether the Israelis appropriately used American weapons. And then the State Department can do a variety of things, including make recommendations about how Israel uh, should or should not use weapons in the future. They could go so far as to recommend that the uh, U.S. government stop giving the Israelis certain types of weapons. The State Department very cautious about what this means. They say this is very open-ended, regardless of how this, uh, whatever we find out. Uh, we'll see what we do next. Again, it's one of those headlines that the White House hopes that a certain portion of the of population here sees to show that they are not just giving a blank check to the Israelis uh, in this war effort. And yet at the same time, uh, the U.S. continues to support the Israeli effort overall to bring home the hostages. We still have seven of those hostages are American citizens um, to this day. Weapons do continue to flow. There's a lot of coordination between the Pentagon, the CIA, with the Mossad, with the Israeli government. And Biden continues to be opposed to a full ceasefire. Um, as of right now, the U.S. agrees that there is no future peace in this region possible while Hamas still has a major arsenal, while Hamas is still in charge of Gaza, and they still support the overall effort, but they are scrutinizing the way that the Israelis are conducting uh, the campaign. From News Nation, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is proposing new penalties to curb retail theft and porch piracy. It comes as retail theft led to more than $100 billion in store losses a year in the last couple of years. So currently in Florida, a person will only get a felony after committing five different retail thefts within 45 days. Now under DeSantis's new proposal, individuals who commit retail theft with a firearm or who have had two or more prior convictions of retail theft 
would now be charged with a first degree felony. It would be a second degree felony if criminals use social media to solicit others to participate in retail theft and a third degree felony if individuals commit retail theft with five or more individuals. And Mosh, with that, the penalties are pretty severe. Yeah, a first degree felony in Florida carries a maximum of 30 years of prison, a second degree, 15 years in prison, and a third degree felony, five years in prison. And this comes as uh, the punishment for retail theft in recent years has gone the opposite direction. Uh, the feeling that, you know, America has one of the largest prison populations in the world and a lot of those people being held for smaller crimes. So there has been this decriminalization of retail theft. Now, in recent years, with retail theft going up in certain areas, there's this feeling that they do need to ratchet up uh, the punishments as a measure of deterrence here. You mentioned that part of this proposal also addresses Porsche piracy, a.k.a. stealing delivery packages from private property. And so, again, that means five years in prison if you steal a package that's worth anywhere between 40 and 100 bucks. Porsche pirates across the country stole 260 million packages, estimated at about $20 billion in value back in 2022. That's the last full year we have numbers for. And as we talk about retail theft, you know, we've been hearing from the Targets, the Walmarts, the Nordstroms, the Macy's, the CVSs, uh, who have blamed uh, larger losses in the last couple of years to organize shoplifting campaigns. And that has then led them to shutter stores in a number of urban areas. You know, the uh, shutdowns in D.C. and San Francisco in particular have gotten a lot of attention. Though what is interesting is there's been this analysis recently done over by the New York Times, and they looked at the data and they said that while we've been having this larger conversation about retail theft, when you actually scrutinize the data, it's only really up in a couple of areas. But those areas are notable. New York, D.C., where, by the way, the vast majority of the media lives. So there's a tendency, the media tends to cover things that are closer to them. But if you look at a national analysis of retail theft, it's actually down nationally uh, from pre-COVID numbers. So while it's up in the New York and D.C., which is probably why you're seeing more stories about it, you're seeing some more pictures about it, etc., nationally overall, as a country, we're down when it comes to retail theft. That said, it is an interesting move by DeSantis, who tends to have his finger on the pulse of these types of issues. And uh, this is certainly something that we've been talking a lot about on this podcast. And now to some new research by the child care company Vivi and the fifth trimester founded by a friend of the pod, Lauren Smith Brody. It finds that when businesses support parents' caregiving needs, in return, they get back their most productive, profitable work. According to their case studies, for every $1 a company invests in caregiving benefits and culture, it drives a return on investment of nearly 19 times. Their report is called the ROI of Caregiving Benefits. The white paper combines six months of research, including surveys with 300 caregivers and 10 individual case studies featuring companies like Estee Lauder and Bobby and Etsy. They talk to a range of parents from single moms to gig workers to primary breadwinners now, what is a caregiving program, you might ask? One mom describes that the school she works for offers teachers a care concierge to book things like doctor's appointments. Other companies go as far as to offer child care. Yeah, we'll include a link uh, to download this full report in the uh, show notes on whatever app you listen to this podcast on. But there's a lot of compelling results in here. The research revealed, among other things, that it helps retention. 42% of survey respondents who considered leaving their job in the last year said that they actually stayed specifically because of their employer's support for caregiving. 
59% said that if they had backup or subsidized childcare, they would be likely to stay in their jobs for at least another four years. It also helps when it comes to productivity. 69% of survey respondents said that if their employer had backup or subsidized childcare, they would work in person more often than required. That's a big issue for a lot of businesses right now. Uh, It also has a huge recruitment effect. Nine out of 10 survey respondents said they would rather have an ongoing childcare subsidy of $10,000 versus an immediate $10,000 cash bonus. So a lot of ideas here in terms of how to make employers and the workplace more uh, child-friendly, parent-friendly. And so what this report's trying to do is really show that this actually helps the bottom line of these companies. It's not just a nice thing to do, but a more profitable thing to do. As far as the survey here, they also uh, said that employees rank childcare benefits as more desirable than a 401k plan. And there are other things they look for here. Fertility benefits, on-ramping programs, paid family leave um, are all things that even if they don't need it immediately and they won't use it themselves, they have a better feeling about the company they're working for. Brody says in the report in 2024, support for caregivers at work, benefits, training, culture, or all three, is no longer bells and whistles, but a vital pillar of profitability with a calculable ROI. So again, making the argument that uh, this is good for business companies. So when do the Mo News babysitting services start, Moshe? <laughs> <laughs> Jill, at the WeWork, we're happy to host uh, host the kids. We're still a small, small shop here. so The dogs are all there. So why not the kids? We often have two dogs in the office, uh, Wallace and Blue, uh, who belong to Emily and uh, Lauren, respectively. So let's have the kids. The kids should come in, too. Make it a family affair. All right. From CNBC, an increasing number of people are using artificial intelligence to flirt, whether that means generating messages for dating apps, uploading profiles, or evaluating compatibility with a situationship. In the U.S., one in three men ages 18 to 34 use chat GPT for relationship advice, compared with 14% of women in the same age group. This is according to a new survey. Startups focused on AI-generated messages for dating are seeing booming demand. So if you're wondering what this means or how this would potentially work, one man who lives in New York told CNBC that he once asked ChatGPT to help him draft a text to a girl that he had been dating and who was about to go on vacation. So he wanted to tell her to have fun and not to worry if she couldn't respond to his messages while she was away. And he was looking for the right words to use. So apparently this is <laughs> this is what he got from ChatGPT. Um, let me know what you think. They said, hey person's name, super stoked for your trip, exclamation point. Go have a blast and don't worry about texting back. But hey, if you snag some cool pics and want to chat, I'm here. Have fun, exclamation point. Thoughts, Jill? The two exclamation points off the bat are kind of a giveaway that something's off, a red flag. I I, I also feel like ChatGPT stuck in the 80s, super stoked and go have a blast. I wish CNBC followed up with How did that work out for you? (laughs) (laughs) Are you married now? Did it really keep the conversation flowing? Anyway, there are actually all sorts of new startups that are doing this type of thing. Yourmove.ai is an AI dating tool that offers a range of services like drafting messages, analyzing conversations, and evaluating users' dating app profiles. And believe it or not, it has about 250,000 users. 
There's another one called Riz, R-I-Z-Z. It's an AI dating assistant that debuted back in 2022. Jill, you know the term Riz. We've talked about it on this podcast. It's uh, short for charisma. It's what the Gen Z kids are using these days. Uh, And it's been around for a couple of years now. It has three and a half million downloads to date, 1 million active users, according to the company. On average, they say the number of users increased 30% per month in the last quarter. So more and more people uh, using it. Uh, One of the founders of Riz saying, quote, dating is hard. It's like a second job for many people. People are struggling. There's a lot of competition out there. Not only do people need to have great photos that stand out, they also need to know how to start these conversations on dating apps. I mean, my thing here, Jill, and, uh, you know, again, everyone sort of lives in different eras. Like I definitely have friends who dated and got married before the online dating era. I was actually, you know, using the apps is actually how I met Alex on, on one of the dating apps. But I ended my dating uh, saga years before this AI thing. And this is a whole different story. I, I feel like, you know, one of the things that even we still had back in the mid teens was that you still had to write the you know comments yourself. You had to engage in conversation yourself. If you're having AI write things for you, when you actually show up on the date, will the person be like, you seemed much more interesting (laughs) via via text uh, in person? You're kind of lame. A marriage therapist actually told CNBC that that was kind of their concern, too, saying that especially for people who have struggled with online dating in the past, this could lead to inauthentic connections, you think? She <laughs> says maybe someone made a decision about getting involved with you based on an experience that they were having with an AI-generated communication instead of actually you. So in the short term, potentially it could provide a boost. But in the longer term, did you just potentially waste several months of each of your lives or several minutes because you'll realize pretty pretty quickly into that first glass of wine you're like, him. you don't sound like the person <laughs> i've been talking <laughs> because the concern back in the day and when i say back in the day i mean a couple of years ago is that like they would you know people would edit their photos right like or you know use the best photo possible cropped to a certain way filtered in a certain way and you're like you don't look like your picture and now it's like not only do you not look at like your picture you don't are you the person I've been talking to like on text for the past couple of weeks? Because falling flat for me. I thought you were going to say the concern is like either double booking dates back to back. And then you're kind of forgetting who said what or you're talking to so many different people on the apps that you're like, wait, wait, a, wait a minute. Like, what what was that story? And I have heard anecdotally from people who have said that dating in the time of apps is impossible because even if you have a good date, the person gets in the Uber or cab on the way home and is immediately swiping and looking at other options. Like it's, it's too many options. Well, and now with AI, you can, you can, you can get the bot to respond to all of those conversations at the same time and keep, and genuinely, just like you have that issue with customer service these days. Am I talking to a person? Give me a person. You're going to have Operator. that problem with, it, with the dating world. So. Operator. <laughs> <laughs> Operator. Real person. Real. Per- Who am I talking to here? And finally from Forbes magazine, just about one in five Americans believe that Taylor Swift is part of a covert effort to help President Biden win the 2024 election. This is according to a new poll by Monmouth University. Here's the theory. It says that the Pentagon is using Taylor Swift as a weapon in a psychological warfare campaign by engineering a romance between the singer and the Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey 
the government's attempting to boost Swift's popularity to give her eventual endorsement of Joe Biden greater impact. This is again, according to the theory, the poll found that 18 percent of Americans believe such a conspiracy involving Swift exists. And just under half, about 46 percent of the American public have heard something about the Swift conspiracy theory. 71% of those who believe this identify with or lean toward the Republican Party, and 83% indicate that they are likely to support Donald Trump in the fall. Also, nearly three quarters of those who believe the Swift conspiracy also believe that the 2020 election outcome was fraudulent. What's funny about all this, these people also believe that like Biden's completely incompetent uh, and at the same time capable of running a PSYOP campaign out of the Pentagon to get Swift and Kelsey together, boost her popularity. And then, Jill, the, it was expanded to rig the Super Bowl so the Chiefs win, thereby giving it even more power, then leading up to an endorsement by Travis and Taylor for Biden, helping him win the election. Now, the Biden campaign has made light of this already. Uh, upon the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl this week, Biden's account tweeted out, uh, just like we drew it up. Mwahaha. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're leaning into it. Uh, we should note, Swift did endorse Biden back in 2020, was also critical of Trump that year. So it wouldn't be a shocker to see her endorse Biden again. You know, it was also not so much of a shock. The Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. That was their third Super Bowl in five years, their second in a row. So a lot of people are wondering, like, why would the Pentagon run a PSYOP campaign for Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, given that she's already pretty popular and the Chiefs were already pretty much going to run the Super Bowl? And what are you people talking about? Anyway, the number that struck all of us was that it's one in five Americans here. And also, why would Taylor Swift ever agree to this or Travis Kelsey? They're like, well, we don't actually like each other or want to date, but for Joe Biden, we'll come up with a whole fake relationship. Uh, what do you like? I I don't even know, Joe. There's some crazy. I like. I think I hear crazy stuff, and then stuff hits a new level. But again, one out of five people. It's probably not one out of five listeners of this podcast. You guys are too smart for this nonsense. But if you're walking the streets today, wherever you are, every fifth person might believe this theory. I just want you guys to know that. Notably, they also asked about her get out the vote efforts as something that she's been engaged in uh, in election years. And the majority, seven out of 10 Americans do support get out the vote efforts, uh, though Republicans are less supportive of Taylor Swift's get out the vote efforts than Democrats or independents. And Jill, with that, we'll try to make uh, the podcast a Taylor Swift free zone for a couple of days. <laughs> is that a, is that possible anymore? She was in yesterday's podcast. She was in definitely in Monday's podcast. Um, sure. So I don't know. Friday's Should podcast we... before the Super Bowl. <laughs> so to answer your question, no, <laughs> so, can't be done. We'll take a break for a couple of days. If the headlines are about her, we'll take a break. Now time for On This Day in History. We're going to begin in 1903. A toy store owner and inventor named Morris Mictum placed two stuffed bears in his shop window on this day in 1903. He promoted them as teddy bears. He had spent months petitioning President Teddy Roosevelt at the time for permission to use his nickname for these stuffed bears. And the background for all this goes that uh, Teddy Roosevelt was an avid uh, conservationist, but also a hunter. The previous year, in 1902, he had been on a hunting expedition in Mississippi. And that's where there are a couple potential storylines here. But they both end with, quote unquote, compassion, hence the nickname Teddy. So... Story one goes that he came upon an old injured black bear that had been tied to a tree. Some reports claim that Teddy Roosevelt shot the bear out of pity for his suffering. Others insist that he set the bear free. 
Either way, President Roosevelt showed compassion to this bear, a smaller bear. Uh, the story was printed in newspapers across the country, variations of the story. The toy store owner said, you know, let's do a stuffed bear in honor of our teddy bear president. The president uh, agreed to it. And uh, soon enough, he wasn't the only one selling teddy bears. Toy stores across the country were selling various teddy bears, hence the teddy bear. Jill, I think it feels better to say Teddy Roosevelt set the bear free as opposed to shot the bear to put it out of its pity. That feels nicer for a children's toy, don't you think? For the genesis of the most beloved children's toy out there, yes, I'm with you. <laughs> now to another beloved children's uh, franchise. On this day in 1950, Walt Disney's animated feature Cinderella opened in theaters across the U.S. Though this is another story, too, Jill, where the uh, Disney storyline is much nicer than the original Brothers Grimm storyline about Cinderella. Disney's is pretty brutal. The mom dies, wicked stepmom, wicked stepsisters, locking her up in the attic. What <laughs> What could be worse? <laughs> Jill, I don't want to get too detailed here, but uh, I will say that in the Brothers Grimm version of the Cinderella story, in order to get her foot into the slippers... <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> I won't discuss, but imagine something much more gruesome to get her feet into those slippers. Moving on. And those were children's <laughs> stories in the 19th century, my friends. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Moving on to 1965, a big day for our friends up north in Canada. The maple leaf flag became the official flag of Canada on this day. It's probably one of the most iconic flags in the world. Uh, it came from a proclamation from Queen Elizabeth II at the time. Until then, they had a version of the UK flag. And uh, they finally gave them permission on this day in 1965 to have their own flag in Canada. And so a previous British monarch had determined that the colors of Canada were red and white. And they came up with a maple leaf. And one more item of note on this day in 1989, the Soviet Union officially withdrew from Afghanistan after 10 years of occupying that country from 79 to 89. It was seen as a version of kind of the Soviet Union's Vietnam sucking their military dry. It's one of the reasons, actually. In the 80s, the U.S. Uh, got with some uh, rebels, the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, to keep the Russians fighting. Of course, some of those individuals would go on to fight in groups like the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. For more perspective on exactly what went down there, uh, I highly recommend Charlie Wilson's War, if you haven't seen that film. Great movie with Julia Roberts. Tom Hanks has a little bit of humor and a little bit of seriousness and goes into the history of, of the 80s there. All right, we end here with music, as always. Don't you forget about me. On this day 39 years ago, The Breakfast Club, you recognize that tune, starring Molly Ringwald, Emilio Estevez, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Ali Sheedy. They were known as the Brat Pack, not the Rat Pack, but the Brat Pack. It premiered on this day in theaters in 1985. One of my favorite lines is um, Ali Sheedy, who plays Allison Reynolds. She's like, you want to know what I did to get here? Nothing. I didn't have anything better to do, which I <laughs> think is funny. Jill, I remember they showed it to us on my first day of high school. I, the, whoever was like giving us our orientation decided that was a good thing to do for two hours on our first day of school. I feel like that is something that only happens in a Chicago high school. <laughs> Yes, there are certain films shot in the Chicago suburbs, and uh, that's one of them. Actually, many of those films, Pretty in Pink, a number of those kind of high school Ferris films. Ferris Bueller's and, Day Off, of you course. Know, we take a lot of pride there. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, yeah. Um, so there you go. 
and one more uh, musical item today. On this day, 38 years ago, How Will I Know by Whitney Houston reached number one on the Billboard charts. And I'm going to do everyone a favor and not try to sing anything that Whitney Houston did. All right. Uh, thank you guys for listening to the Mo News podcast. Mosh, great to be back in the same state as you. If you like what you hear, please share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. Yeah, much easier to coordinate uh, taping times for the podcast when I'm not seven hours ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Like, Jill, I think that'll be 1 a.m. my time. It led to that situation this week where you had to notably update a story from Israel that was overnight happening there because that was like the few hours I was trying to get sleep. So again, appreciate you spinning all the plates this week uh, while I was headed back and forth. We got a lot more to come from there. And appreciate all of you supporting Mo News. This week, we uh, rolled out group and family plans for Mo News Premium. So definitely check those out. It's a way to support Mo News and and get your spouse, get your loved one, get your friends, get your colleagues. Um, also, a discounted membership for Mo News Premium. You can check it all out over at mo.news slash premium. Gets you access to a special members-only Instagram feed, members-only podcast, uh, gets your questions answered. And it's also a way to support what we're doing here at Mo News. We mentioned chocolate prices are going up, but nothing says love quite like a group membership to the Mo News premium feed. Yeah, actually, right now, if you go into ChatGPT and you and you ask, what is something I should do for my loved one? ChatGPT will tell you, <laughs> get them a Mo News premium membership. <laughs> if I actually had ChatGPT, I would go in and ask right now that question and see what would come up. Okay, before this goes <laughs> off the rails any more than it already is, uh, bye, everybody. Later. Thanks for listening to the Mo News podcast.